this week on Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. And it does, it advances, Scott, what you've talked about on this podcast a lot is that Donald Trump is now the establishment of the Republican Party. Everybody yeah. loves to bash the establishment of the Republican Party, and now that includes Donald Trump. He's no longer the outsider. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. Never give up, never surrender. The special issue of the Flyover Country podcast with Scott Jennings. Kevin Grottis here, Jared Crawford, and Scott has surrendered to the 9.30 p.m. hour here on the evening of Thursday, August 24th. Scott, an historic evening as a former president mugshotted at the Fulton County Jail. Yeah, uh, I was on the air as uh, Donald Trump's plane was landing in Georgia and Took a couple of hours to uh, grab some dinner and record the pot with you guys, and then I'll be back on later tonight to, to round it all up. But it's uh, another historic day where Donald Trump finds himself entangled in a very serious legal case. I don't know how it's all going to end, but uh, certainly at this point, uh, you got to imagine the, the stress and anxiety of all this has got to be weighing on the former president. These state cases, you know, winning the presidency doesn't necessarily absolve you of them uh, like the federal cases. And so... It's, uh, it's quite a night, uh, and uh, obviously everybody out there has got strong opinions. So, uh, And it comes on the heels of the big debate last night, which he didn't participate in, but loomed over uh, in a major way. He was asked about uh, his high, uh, the, how, how well he's doing in the polls, despite the fact that he continues to get indicted during the Tucker Carlson interview on X Twitter. We're going to hear that later on in the podcast, but right now, Jared Crawford is standing by. He is our our debate DJ tonight. So, Jared, you're going to be spinning the hits randomly here for the, the various candidates on the stage on uh, Wednesday night in in Wisconsin. And let's go ahead and start right now. Give, give us our, our first soundbite, one of the first uh, candidates here, and then we'll get our instant reaction. Here's the thing. Why are we in this mess? Part of it and a major reason is because how this federal government handed COVID-19 by locking down this economy. It was a mistake. It should have never happened. And in Florida, we led the country out of lockdown. We kept our state free and open. And I can tell you this, as your president, I will never let the deep state bureaucrats lock you down. You don't take somebody like Fauci and coddle him. You bring Fauci in, you sit him down, and you say, Anthony, you are fired. That, of course, Ron DeSantis on the stage, the the top candidate who showed up for the debate, Scott. He certainly, in my uh, uh, perception, uh, was fine. He was solid. He was prepared. He was articulate. Came out a little angry, a little hot. But I don't know if he did anything to kind of change anything. What do you think? Well, I don't know if you've met uh, any Republicans, Joe, but we are angry and hot. And they're especially <laughs> angry and hot about having been locked down for two years by uh, Anthony Fauci. And so I actually thought he was channeling um, emotions that were true to his leadership and true to the way he's been running his campaign. You know, my instant reaction to the debate was that DeSantis did fine, that he didn't hurt himself and that he had a couple of nice moments, but he didn't. You know, he didn't really control the stage. And I still believe that, although 24 hours later, kind of listening back on it and thinking back on it, I actually think DeSantis had a better night than I initially gave him credit for and that a lot of pundits gave him credit for. I did notice all the Democrats were quick to pounce. Oh, DeSantis is dead. He's terrible. I mean, to this day, 
for the duration of this campaign up and through last night, and no matter what Ron DeSantis does, they are forever trying to kill off Ron DeSantis. Whether you're Donald Trump, never Trump, Democrats, or the mainstream media, they all have one common mission to kill off Ron DeSantis. That continued last night, but I look at some of the snap polling guys and looks like DeSantis came out uh, in a pretty decent spot afterwards along with Nikki Haley. Kevin. It seemed like, and I, I think everyone was expecting when this debate started, is that all sides were going to be attacking DeSantis, trying to bring him down. And, and early on, you saw that the, the, they had all made a strategic decision. I don't know if he really got a, a glove laid on him the entire night. Um, there might have been some people who mentioned him along with everybody else. Um, so I, I don't know if he didn't want to be too aggressive because he thought he was going to be receiving barbs and ha- had you know his, his uh, comebacks there but the the clip that you played jared about uh fauci in the lockdowns i think is probably one of his best arguments against trump this is where he and trump are different because trump listened to fauci desantis paved his own path and you know brought brought florida out uh ahead so i think this is a good proving point for him i think he had a good night all of his answers were solid got big applause it sounded like on tv but he didn't try to dominate the stage because you know he didn't need to play for the airtime he is uh, he he's the guy in charge on the stage there, um, and I think he kind of showed. Yeah, I think nobody had a better 2022 than Ron DeSantis, and nobody's had kind of a tougher 2023 than him. But we forget how good he is at this some, sometimes, right? Like this is where he really kind of like you know made his his name is you know being able to kind of quibble with the media or feeling like a, a question was was phrased unfairly. Uh, you know, we'll hear some more tonight, probably. But, you know, ask about crime and these sorts of things, his handling of COVID. He's always been really good at at pleading his case and defending his own record, which is kind of separate from a lot of the other people on the stage. Um, and then on top of it, I, again, like Kevin said, I think most people thought he was going to be the target. Look, the most money's been spent, you know, on him and attack ads. But Vivek. Well, we will get to him, but uh, my goodness, he was the punching bag last night, not DeSantis. Scott, I thought that the um, the debate itself was just a disaster. I thought it was poorly run. I thought the idea of having 4,000 people all deriding or cheering, whatever. I mean, I, I, I don't know what the better way to do it. I think moderate, I, I've been, I've moderated a debate before. It's a thankless job. They did pretty poorly themselves as far they couldn't control anybody. They couldn't, they could, and good luck with that when you have eight people on the stage. I don't think it did anything for the Republican party. I, I mean, it, it, what I wanted to hear more than anything is prosecute the case against Joe Biden. And it just, it just lost tight and back and forth. I don't know, but overall, do you have a, a takeaway before we go to the next fight? Yeah, I, look, I'm sympathetic because I don't know how you control eight people. Uh, and I don't know how you control Ramaswamy, who obviously came in there to just to try to destroy the stage and create chaos. I didn't like the way they set up the questions, you know, where it's like long question. And then we go to a video package and then we come out. I just I thought they spent I thought they wasted a ton of time that could have been taken up by asking the candidates more questions and giving them more time. So I I didn't love it. Uh, but um uh, but uh, it, it's not a it's not an easy job. I don't think anybody's invented yet a way uh, to have a reasonable debate with uh, these national primaries. I'm, my hands are in my pockets. Let us be honest as Republicans. I'm the only person on the stage who isn't bought and paid for. So I can say this. The climate change agenda is a hoax. The climate change agenda is a hoax. And we have to declare independence for it. And the reality is, the anti-carbon agenda is the wet blanket on our economy. 
And so the reality is more people are dying of bad climate change policies than they are of actual climate right. change. Governor, Governor right, Haley, are you bought the paid for? Down by hold on, hold on. Listen, listen, listen. Hold on, hold on. I've had enough. I've had enough already tonight of a guy who sounds like ChatGPT standing up here. And the last person in one of these debates, Brett, who stood in the middle of the stage and said, what's a skinny guy with an odd last name doing up here was Barack Obama. And I'm afraid we're dealing with the same type of amateur standing on stage tonight. Scott, I um, so here's the deal. Um, Ramaswamy insulted everyone. He said things that were patently false, and he also contradicted himself a number of times on the climate change issue. You know, just a couple of months ago, he gave a big interview in which he said climate change was real. It was caused by human activity. We had to solve the problem. I mean, he's I think one of the problems with his candidacy is that the brighter the lights get, the more you're able to see under the, you know, under the furniture and in the dark corners. And in the dark corners of this candidacy uh, is a guy who has literally been on every side of every issue. I mean, on, on January 6th last night, you know, he kind of ducked on Mike Pence. You know, in his book, he praised Mike Pence for doing the right thing on January 6th. And then he ducked it in the debate. And then afterwards, he told a reporter that, well, I would have not counted the votes and I would have magically passed a law to, you know, basically declare a new election. I mean, it was nonsense. So on a number of topics, I think what we started to see on Ramaswamy last night was it's a lot of bluster and salesmanship, but little consistency and little substance. And I, I actually think his act wore pretty thin as the night went on. He is a guy who called Donald Trump the best president of the 21st century, but doesn't explain why he's running against Donald Trump and why he doesn't think Trump should be the president again. I it it doesn't make sense what he's doing up there. I think everyone is a little frustrated with it toward the end, like you said, Scott. Um, but you know, gave people like Nikki Haley a great moment to punch down on him. Scott, you mentioned uh, him going back and forth on the climate change hoax. We've we've got the receipts here, so here's that clip. Climate change is also real. Mm -hmm. I'm not denying the under reality of the underlying reality that global surface temperatures are going up and in part due to human activity. Tough, I mean, tough look. <laughs> what was yeah. that from? I mean, the, the 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 thing on Vivek is when you start to just scratch the surface, if you just do a minor review of his positions, he's all over the place on climate. He's been all over the place on January 6th. He wants to give Ukraine over to the Russians. He wants to give Taiwan over to the Chinese. He wants to legalize hard drugs. He wants to downgrade our alliance with Israel. And he apparently, according to some writings that I saw, wants to impose a national inheritance tax of somewhere between 60 and 100 percent, which is something that the socialists want to do. He's got some crazy, you know, objectively crazy ideas. I just, you know, Trump did, too. But this guy's 38 years old, has no experience, and has only voted in two elections. I'm just not sure this is going to fly. But, Scott, isn't he the most populist Trump-like person on that stage? And if Trump, in fact, is disqualified or somehow these indictments make a difference, I mean, who is the most likely to inherit the mantle of, hey, listen, I'm going to legalize those drugs. I'm going to give you back the money from the rich people. I mean, the, the, the populist message is out there. I don't know. I mean— Trump was like Scooby-Doo. Everybody kind of liked him. And Vivek's like Scrappy-Doo. Everybody. I mean, he's, there's a reason <laughs> Scrappy is like the most hated cartoon character in the history of animation. 
And I just, that, that's the difference. They're in the same genre, but everybody loved one and hated the other. I think that's how it's going to turn out. The other thing about Ramaswamy, too, is like it, it felt like Trump always kind of exaggerates his like policy ideas and policy solutions. But at least he kind of had policy ideas. Ramaswamy just kind of speaks in these like vague he'll, like he'll just be like, we can't be the leaders. We must lead from the lead. Like it's like he just makes up these weird sayings half the time. And you're like, what are you even saying? Like it's, you know, we must have hope, well, he, not he, be the he, hope. He, and you're like, what, dude, what does that he, even mean? He spent a lot of time last night accusing everyone else of having slogans. Yeah. But his entire yeah. his yeah. entire shtick is just stringing together slogans, including that it was our U.S. Constitution that allowed us to win the American Revolution. <laughs> which, which, like, in the moment, I guess, sounded That's right good. to him. But again, even a, a, a cursory bit of research would tell you that's crazy talk. The other, I say, so I said pocket this. The other uh, note on Ramaswamy is generational. I mean, the fact that he was kind of rolling his eyes at anyone quoting Ronald Reagan and a city on a hill or, or you know, morning in America again and looking at that and almost like you're, you're ancient history, man. So Mike Pence is sort of like probably the oldest looking person on that stage and looking at him like, who are you and where did you come from? And, and you're not welcome here at this Republican Party. But is there some generational aspect of Ramaswamy where you think, Scott, that there there's a lane there for him? Well, look, I, yes, I think anytime you have characteristics that make you the only one on the shelf that uh, that has an appearance of being different than all the other products. I mean, look at Trump in 16, you know, 18, 19 candidates in the race and his, you know, if they were all products in the store, his looked different and had different packaging. The marketing was different. And so people were, were drawn to it. But you have to remember, Trump had fame before he came into the presidential campaign. He had a brand. People knew him. They felt like they knew him. They, you know, they were comfortable with the Trump name. Ramaswamy, no one had ever heard of more than five minutes ago. And he is obviously running to be a Trump surrogate and to, to ape Trump, I guess, in the hopes of being the front runner for 2028. There's no hope for someone to get the nomination by running as a Trump clone when Trump himself is in the race. Unless he's taken up in the rapture, Trump <laughs> is not going to lose to a Trump clone that wasn't already the president, that didn't already have the undying support of half the Republican Party. So uh, I, I do think I, I think the generational piece is interesting. I did hear about some focus groups last night where younger people, but I also heard on the flip side, Joe, older voters, women hated the shtick. They hated it. They thought he was uh, rude. Uh, and um, and really thought he was off-putting all night. So so the shtick that he has works with a certain segment, but I think there are lot there are other large segments that it's, it's not going to play with. Jared, so the Ramaswamy bashing hour is going to continue here, but this clip is what I think was the moment of the night. Stage, You've been pushing this lie want, all week, Nikki. You want Nikki. to go and defund Israel? This, you want to okay, let me address that. I'm glad you, you brought that up. Go and give you I'm going to address Russia? each of those right now. You this is the false you lies of a professional politician. There you have it. Your watch. So you the reality make America is, less safe. you have no foreign me, policy experience, and it shows. And you know what? The, the foreign policy experience that you all have shows in the pointless wars we've gotten into. I have to address that. So our relationship with Israel. I mean, she put him in his place. Oh, yeah. Uh, Nikki, Nikki, I thought that was a great moment 
for Nikki Haley. You could tell that she and Mike Pence were both getting extremely agitated with Ramaswamy. You know, early on in the debate, by the way, I think the stupidest moment, like right out of the gate, he gets his first question. And his, one of his first things was, you know, guys, it's not that complicated. Now, here's a 38-year-old dude who's voted in two elections, has no political history of doing anything or having any involvement, and he's up here telling the rest of the country, you know, it's not that complicated to be, you know, leader of the free world. I mean, it, it, it was just so arrogant, and I think if you're Mike Pence or Nikki Haley and you've been fighting for conservative values your whole career, or anyone else for that matter, it must have just seemed super agitating to hear him, and, and finally she had had enough of it, but she needs to call that out because – you know, the idea that we would get rid of Israel as an ally or, you know, cede major ground on the international stage or even dabble with 9-11 trutherism, which earlier this week he was like, I've been misquoted. This is not true. And they played the audio and it's exactly what he said. I just I think this this whole shtick is going to fall apart with just a little bit of investigation. And you saw Haley go down that road last night. So Haley was I think maybe the strongest moment of the debate was that moment that Jared just played. However, I thought she had the weakest opening. I couldn't figure out where she was going. It seems she spent the first minute and a half trying to blame Republicans for the budget deficit, trying to talk about a lack of leadership among Republicans. So, Scott, I, I just have to wonder about, I mean, did she dig herself a hole to get out of or what was she trying to prove? Well, Republicans hate each other. I mean, that, I mean that's the one thing about Republicans. I mean, I mean, there's nothing more than Republicans love to do than hate on institutional Republicans in Washington, D.C. And she does have something that Pence and DeSantis and, and others up there don't have. And that is she's not been in Washington and she was U.N. ambassador for a, a minute under Trump, but she was not, not in the Congress. And one of the points she made was all these other people on the stage have cast the votes that you hate. And in Mike Pence's case, he was the vice president for a president that added $8 trillion to the deficit. I, I actually thought that was a pretty strong moment because Republicans love to hear Republicans claim that our leaders are rhinos. It's like one of our favorite games of self-flagellation, Jared. You have Ron DeSantis, you've got Tim Scott, you've got Mike Pence. They all voted to raise the debt. And Donald Trump added $8 trillion to our debt. And our kids are never going to forgive us for this. Uh, notably, that was tweeted out by President Biden. That that short clip right there. Yeah, well, of course, you know, yeah. he fails to note in his tweet that every Democrat in the Congress voted for the covid relief. I mean, here's the thing. You know, if, if this is a debate that's going to be had, you've got a, you've got everybody in both parties, you know, that essentially decided at the time that these emergency bills had to, you know, at least under Trump. Now, when Biden got in, Republicans said we'd spend enough. Democrats kept spending. And so, you know, that's a fair question. But, you know, her point, Joe, was. Uh, party bashing and parties have never been less popular. I mean, the parties are not popular. And so uh, I know you didn't like it, but I, I actually thought it was a pretty smart tactic. And it does, it advances, Scott, what you've talked about on this podcast a lot is that Donald Trump is now the establishment of the Republican Party. Everybody loves yeah. to bash the establishment of the Republican Party. And now that includes Donald Trump. He's no longer the outsider. One thing on that front, uh, I made this observation. It was the first thing that I said when we went to coverage uh, after the debate ended. I was, I mean, I thought DeSantis was going to get bashed all night. I was surprised that didn't happen. But what surprised me more was Nikki Haley essentially replacing Chris Christie as the principal anti-Trump foil in this primary. She went after him on spending and then later to a Fox News crowd said out loud, this is the most unpopular politician in the country. And the crowd hated it. 
but she said it to their face. I mean, you'd expect that out of Christy. I'd not expect that out of her, but she did, you know, she did go down that road and, and frankly made a very forceful case on it. All right. Next up, we're, we'll switch to Mike Pence, who again, gotten a couple of tiffs with uh, Ramaswamy. This is Mike Pence on Ukraine. Anybody that thinks that we can't solve the problems here in the United States and be the leader of the free world has a pretty small view of the greatest nation on earth. That is incorrect. We can do both, Vivek. We've done both. We've been the leader of the free world and the arsenal of democracy for years. The Reagan doctrine years ago made it clear. We said, if you're willing to fight the communists on your soil, we'll give you the means to fight them there so our troops don't have to fight them. Vivek, if we do the giveaway that you want to give to Putin to give him his land, it's not going to be too long before he rolls across a NATO border, and frankly, our men and women of our armed forces are going to have to go and fight him. I want to let the Ukrainians fight and drive Putin and the Russians back out so Scott, Mike Pence is someone who normally is so animatronic and it's almost like it's his is he has to like, like he buffers up there for like five seconds before he says anything. He seemed to actually animate and come to life. And I think he really kind of had an opportunity here that he took to 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 show kind of a backbone. Yeah, I, I thought this was the most energetic performance of the campaign. You know, when he had his CNN town hall meeting, which I was here to cover. Uh, a few weeks ago. I mean, it was such a snooze fest. I mean, very sedate and just, you know, frankly, boring. Uh, you know, I did see him speak at, at an off the record event at the gridiron dinner earlier this year. He was actually really funny and, and pretty animated there, but that was not in front of, you know, an on the record item. So when he came out of his shell, I really thought his campaign needed that. And I'm still dubious that he's going anywhere, but I thought for Mike Pence and his legacy and what he stands for, I was so pleased to see him come out and forcefully defend his own record, the Republican Party's history on foreign policy. He had a good night. Again, I'm dubious that it's going to amount to much, but I thought he had a I thought he had a very, very energetic night. He needed that. And he did even, it. even to a point that the moderators, Brett Baer and Martha McCallum, were getting a little frustrated with him. I think they were telling him, like, you need to calm down back there, man. You don't get to answer every question. Uh, but what he was talking about you know, with the war in Ukraine is I think the fundamental foreign policy split in the Republican party right now. Like there are two very strong factions. And I think he gave a really strong um, answer to, to one side, this like traditional Republican Reagan era, we need to fight them over there. So we don't fight them over here. And I think, you know, that's bigger than just this election. That's, that's the future. Yeah. The word I kept seeing pop up whenever Mike Pence would talk was statesman. And uh, again, I have no problem continuing this hour of just bashing Ramaswamy, so I'm just going to keep doing it. Um, he is not as like Ramaswamy's not a statesman, right? Like he's not he he doesn't carry that sort of like professional uh, sort. He's just kind of like the guy in like your poli sci one on one class. Uh, Mike Pence very much feels like a statesman who has not only a, an understanding of of the issues, but a, a grand understanding of the depth of these issues. And uh, you know when he talks about the the war in Ukraine, which Again, Ramaswamy is the only one to put his hand up and say, like, I wouldn't give them any more money. Um, and there was some nuance in everybody else's answers. But I mean, again, it feel he feels like the professional up there. You know, to Joe's point, he's he he's kind of slow in that maybe he feels kind of like you're, you know, he's he's he can't ramp it up all the time. But a, a couple of times last night, he interjected, I thought, on in the right points. And um, and again, I think had a little bit of a of attitudes the right. You know, but if Mike Pence is in his attitude era, I think we're going to see that kind of a different <laughs> character here. 
Scott, I'm going to bring up what might be an obvious point, but it brings up a question for you as far as the the future of the the, the Republican Party in, in this race, at least. Obviously, Donald Trump leads the, the field, and I don't know what the actual latest numbers are, and, and I don't know what this latest indictment will do or mugshot will do as far as that. But it seems that as we're debating even each of these individual performances, it has to do with everyone retreating to their own camps. Is there anyone on that stage who could be a coalition candidate to get enough Republican primary support and enough Republican enthusiasm to succeed Trump and also be able to beat Biden? I I, I just have my, my pessimism about all of this. I, I, I don't see any of this ending well. You are pessimistic about something? <laughs> I'm stunned about. I'm stunned to hear this. I no. Is there? I mean, do you see? Because right now, everyone's just kind of retreating to their own corners. Like, yeah, yeah, that was good. And this this, this crowd of four thousand people who are responding. Well, sure. Yeah, you can land a zinger, but ultimately, you're not gonna. You're only gonna any one of these people. Maybe their ceilings. Maybe DeSantis is the one. Maybe he's the only one I can see who might be able to be just honorary enough, like Trump, to be able to get people to say, "Yeah, we'll stick it to him," and also establishment enough to say that you know what what trump did was wrong maybe he's the only one i can see who can thread that needle look i agree with you that right now trump is is by far and away the leader i didn't see anything happen on the stage that told me we're going to see any imminent consolidation of the non-trump candidates i do think some people help themselves haley and desantis both help themselves but if they're if they're both rising they're still both in the race and so you know, it, it, more than candidates helping themselves, it, you, you need to focus on the candidates who need to drop out and, and clear some space for the people who actually have a chance. You know, I wrote a piece for the L.A. Times today, and, you know, I, I was pretty, pretty dubious that that debate did anything to advance the cause of ultimately defeating Trump, although I did think a couple of the candidates, as I mentioned, Haley and DeSantis, uh, did help themselves to some degree. But that's a long game. And essentially what most of them are waiting for is for Trump to just evaporate. And, you know, your fate's not in your hands. I mean, if you're waiting for Donald Trump to drop out of the race or something happens, I don't know. But that's that's not really a strategy. <laughs> you know, it's just you're just kind of hanging around the rim. I'm hoping that the, the rebound comes your way. So, no, I don't I don't see instant consolidation or instant, you know, uh, movement here up above Trump. But. Do I think Ron DeSantis, if he got the nomination, could beat Joe Biden? Yeah, I think if we nominated anybody south of the age of 70 who isn't in jail, they would beat Joe Biden. But that's not that's not the place we're in right now. And, and um, you know, uh, there's still there's still 140 something days to go, I guess, until the Iowa caucus. Jared, Scott, do you think Trump? Look, he obviously watched the debate. He was like live tweeting through the whole thing. Do you think he watches this and now says, okay, I can do the next one? Like these people are soft, they're mushy. I can go bully every single one of them. Nobody pushed DeSantis on X. Nobody pushed, you know, Tim Scott on Y. Like I can go bully them. Do you think he he sees that and says, okay, I know what I'm up against now. I got to go to the next one. I think he views the entire primary through the lens of DeSantis. I, I think they think DeSantis is the only person who can get close to him. It's why today, just today, he, you know, sent out like 10 or 12 statements assailing DeSantis today. He's not assailing any other candidate in the race. So I think their operating theory is still the same as it was, Jared. 
destroy DeSantis, and essentially nobody else can even potentially get close. If you look at some of the recent polling, you can see why they would think that. The Des Moines Register poll last week out of Iowa, for all the national gloom and doom about the DeSantis campaign, who had the highest net faves in Iowa? Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis. Who has more? Who has the highest percentage of Republicans considering supporting his candidacy? Ron DeSantis. So you can see the underpinnings of being able to put something together are there, and it's why it's why Trump is trying to keep an anvil on his head. And I, I think it's why Ramaswamy's in the race. I think Trump put him in the race to essentially serve as his surrogate and continue to fragment the crowd. If you're looking for something other than Trump, well, you know, better to go to Ramaswamy than go to DeSantis, who might actually be able to put together a campaign. So I'm, you know, I I'm dubious he'll show up at the next debate. Um, but it's not until late September, and so I guess we'll have to see what happens between now and then. Look, here's the, here's the bottom line. Someone's got to stop normalizing this conduct, okay? Now, and now whether or not, whether or not you believe that the criminal charges are right or wrong, the conduct is beneath the office of President of the United States. And, 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 you know, this is the great thing about this country. Booing is allowed, but it doesn't change the truth. It doesn't change the truth. Mr. Ramaswamy, you... Chris Christie, the former governor of New Jersey. I, you know, Kevin, I did not think he had a great debate. He seemed a little... Like he'd lost a step, like a yeah, you know, like a sort of a, a, a an old fastball thrower who maybe lost a couple of miles an hour. He did have a couple of interesting moments, and I did like him smacking around Ramaswamy, but also Ramaswamy got the better of him in an exchange. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, on the whole vengeance and revenge, you know, exchange. So I I thought he was going to come out and really come for Trump harder than he did. But even in his opening statement, he didn't do it. He, he took him a long time to get there. Haley got there. Haley got there before he did, uh, which really shocked me. Yeah, this was the whole reason for Christie's campaign, right, is to be the torpedo that tried to take down Trump. But uh, he didn't really see it. I think, um, I mean, he, he got a couple good moments in. He was entertaining to watch at times, but the, that crowd, I mean, they they booed him so loudly. I think that's when they had the moderators had to stop and chide the crowd and tell them to stop down. I, I think it's clear. I mean, he's saying he's saying great things that, you know, we shouldn't be normalizing this behavior, but he's not speaking to where the Republican Party primary electorate is right now. I also thought it was kind of stupid that they asked Chris Christie the UFO question. Uh, yeah, I would have been so upset. I mean, he was upset. I mean, he, he made it clear. There, there were there were some issues that didn't get touched. Yep. Transgender yep. issues, for instance, didn't get touched. And yet they're asking Chris Christie about UFOs. Like, come on. I mean, you know, he, as you pointed out, his campaign exists for a single reason. And you want to throw him that? It just, it made, I thought Christie leaning away from Trump at the beginning made no sense. <laughs> the question about the UFO, for a lot of reasons, I just thought his whole night was a little disjointed, Joe. Now, and it brings up another kind of thought I had about this, the, the, the eight people who are on that stage, and that is, okay, what is each of their roles? You've already pointed out Ramaswamy is there to to be, be Trump's uh, advocate. You know, he's he's sort of there just to sort of like be the, the stand-in. Christie is there not to run for president. He's there strictly to try to, to, to strip Trump down. 
I don't see Hutchinson as being there for, for, for to actually become president. I think I think this is a a legacy thing or just a, a you know a ego thing. Uh, Borgum, you know Burgum from North Dakota. I think he's running for vice president. So I think we're left with the people who are there who actually are you could see perhaps as this is just Joe's perspective as okay a legitimate presidential nominee would be Haley, DeSantis. Pence, and actually the person who probably had the most disappointing night, and I don't know if we have a bite from him or not, Jared, is Tim Scott. Because Tim Scott, to me, has the potential of, I mean, the gap between his potential performance and his actual performance was the greatest of any candidate on the stage on Wednesday night. He can be an electric speaker, but he was a non-factor. Yeah, we've. I've got a Tim Scott clip we're going to play here in a second. I did think he was a non-factor, and in the clip we're going to play, uh, he's talking about education. He's he's always been this very optimistic kind of you know American dream type uh, candidate, which is different from what we heard from some of the other candidates, where you know the country's in decline, things are as worse as they've ever been, and Tim Scott has this very optimistic view as always. So here's a little bit of Tim Scott on on education. Oh. On education, the only way we change education in this nation is to break the backs of the teachers' unions. They are standing in the doorhouse of our kids, locking them into failing schools and locking them out of the greatest future they could have. I, I thought I thought his comments just taken in a vacuum. You know, mm-hmm. I totally agree with Tim Scott <laughs> and. He also had some really, I thought, nice things to say about the right to life and being pro-life and, and so on. So I think taken in a vacuum, you know, his sentiments were fine. I think where he came up short tactically, uh, you know, it, it, especially at the beginning, he spent a lot of time doing what senators and congressmen do, reciting facts and figures, facts yeah. and figures, facts and figures. And he, you know, he sounded like he was giving a speech on the Senate floor. This is unfortunately you know, a Roman Coliseum, not the Senate floor. And I didn't think that was good. And also he, he clearly had a hard time like finding his way into the, just the general flow of the debate. Like you got to pick your moments and pick your spots and try to insert yourself into the conversation. And, and he had a hard time with that. Oftentimes people from the legislative branch have a hard time with this because they're, they're used to speaking in turn or speaking alone and it, it and it's hard to do. Uh, and he had, you know, I don't think he's had a lot of serious debate, you know, situations in his election. He didn't even have an opponent in his last reelect. So um, I think the people on the stage who had the most experience with this kind of pugilism uh, made it count. You know, Haley's been in a lot of debates. Pence has been in a lot of debates. Uh, DeSantis has had some high profile debates. So uh, that that really showed. But, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you, Joe. I, I, I wanted more out of Tim Scott. I didn't disagree with some of the things he said, but he didn't assert himself to the extent that I think his fans would have wanted him to. Yeah, this is definitely not the forum where he has excelled in the past. I mean, he's he's great at a longer forum speech, can be the most inspirational person on the stage. I also don't think he he went after anybody. He kept it all very positive, which is his brand. But, you know, when you are fifth or sixth in the polls, you know, you have to make a reason, make make people choose to vote for you for a reason. And sometimes that involves pointing out the deficiencies of other candidates. And I don't I don't know if that's something his campaign has really gotten around to yet. I haven't given these numbers yet, but I'll start with him. Uh, There was an Ipsos Washington Post snap poll of 775 Republican debate watchers that was taken. 
So who do you think won the debate? DeSantis, 29, Ramaswamy, 26, Haley, 15, Pence, 7, Scott and Christie, 4, Burgum and Hutchison, 1. But then inside of that, maybe the more interesting question, what was the net favorability of the candidates after the debate compared to before? Ron DeSantis saw a six-point bump in his net faves from 41 to 47. Tim Scott saw a five-point degradation from 47 down to 42. Still a very good number, but he saw a five-point hmm. reduction. Nikki Haley saw a 13-point increase from plus 26 to plus 39. She had, had the uh, biggest movement in the field, along with Chris Christie, who went from negative 38 down to negative <laughs> 25. Uh, Mike Pence saw a seven-point bump from negative 19 to negative 11. Vivek Ramaswamy went from plus 37 to plus 28, so he lost nine points on net. And interestingly, Donald Trump went from plus 31 to plus 24, minus seven. I don't put all the stock in these snap polls after something like this happens, but you can clearly see in the movement here, you know, who did, who made the most of their night and who did not. Scott, what electorate are the candidates trying to convince right now? Is it Iowa? Is it New Hampshire? Is it national because the polling has an effect on fundraising? What is the the target audience that they have that they're paying attention to? Yeah, it depends on who you are. I mean, obviously, Mike Pence, the Alamo is is Iowa. I mean, his his whole pitch last night, I thought, was to older evangelical Christian voters in Iowa who remember the traditional Republican Party, who are staunchly socially conservative and who believe that a statesman should be the nominee of the Republican Party. That is the Iowa caucus goer he was pitching. That's it. There's no other pitch for Mike Pence except for those people in Iowa. For Ron DeSantis, I think it was broader. I think his pitch was for Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and everything else. Uh, and was also to his donors, you know, to convince them that, hey, I've still got it, and I, and, and I need you to continue to invest in me. Same for Haley. I think it was a broad-based pitch for Haley. Chris Christie's campaign is all about New Hampshire. That's what he was going for uh, last night, continued uh, there. I think Ramaswamy is just basically going for, you know, anybody who he can get to pay attention to him. Um, so good question, Joe. Really depends on the campaign. But the one that has to do well in Iowa is Mike Pence and maybe to a lesser extent, Ron DeSantis. But if there is a single constituent group candidacy right now, it's the evangelical crowd for Mike Pence in Iowa. And a lot of biblical verses there and some scripture there from Mike Pence as a result during the debate. But let's go to a soundbite from Ron DeSantis, which kind of brings up to the, the one area where the candidates can agree, even if they hate Donald Trump and think that he's unfit for the presidency. Every candidate, I believe, uh, thinks that the judiciary has been weaponized. Jared. How do you stop crime? Well, actually, crime's at a 50-year low not in, in Florida. Not we're, in Miami. We're, we're happy with that. Well, the statewide, it's a 50-year low. And so here's the thing. These hollowed out cities, this is a symptom of America's decline. And one of the biggest reasons is because you have George Soros funding these radical left wing district attorneys. They get into office and they right. say they're not going to prosecute crimes. Yeah. They disagree with the inmates start running the asylum. There's one guy in this entire country that's ever done anything about that. Me. When we had two of these district attorneys in Florida elected with Soros funding who said they wouldn't do their job, I removed them from their post. They are gone. 
And as president, as president, we are going to go after all of these people because they are hurting the quality of life and they are victimizing innocent people in every corner of this country. And it will stop when I get into office. Okay. One more here before the break. I thought this was a pretty strong moment for DeSantis because it allowed him to exemplify a point he keeps making, which is the presidency is about more than talking. The presidency is about willingness to take action. And on that stage, he has taken action on a number of different topics that uh, Republicans are worried about right now. Uh, taking out those prosecutors was one of them. So I thought that was a good moment for him to continue to hammer home the idea that you don't have to worry about me. Uh, I'm not just a big talker. I'm a big doer. Yeah, we we talked about kind of Tim Scott falling back into like his role as a senator and Nikki Haley really rising up on the foreign policy stuff. This is DeSantis's bread and butter. You want to talk about state issues. Not only, you know, did I recognize that they were issues? I've done something about it. I've passed a bill. I've taken action. He fell back into that on a couple of these things and I thought handled them really well and sold it, right? Like, Cool. You guys talk about what you want to do. I did it. We did that in Florida. That's why we're number one in this. That's why we're we're in a 50 year low at this. That's, you know, all these these sorts of things that he has a real record to run on. I thought he did a really good job of, uh, you know, bringing those up and, and defending his record on multiple issues. So, Kevin, I've already said basically what I think the, the biggest winners and losers mm-hmm. I have out to reiterate. I think DeSantis was fine, and I guess overall that since he emerged from this, perhaps he was the beneficiary more than anything else of of everyone else kind of getting in, in, in the crossfire, Ramaswamy, Christie, whomever else. Uh, so I, I, I want to give – I'll think DeSantis maybe prevailed the best out of this, even though I think Nikki Haley uh, probably uh, improved herself the most. Loser has to be Tim Scott, biggest loser there. Um Ramaswamy, I don't know, maybe right in the middle there. But Kevin, what do you think? <clears throat> Biggest winner, I think, uh, still Donald Trump, just because nobody nobody moved him. He is still the front runner. Uh, he didn't have to show up to this. Um, I and you know he he maintains his position. Biggest loser, I think. Unfortunately, Tim Scott is probably there. His his was hurt the worst. I think Chris Christie is another good candidate for that. Jared. I think biggest winner is probably Nikki Haley. Um, I thought she had the best moment of the night. I thought she rose to the occasion. And my wife, who's the least political person you would ever meet, loved Nikki Haley. Um, And so if that means anything about getting some women voters back in the Republican Party, big win. Loser, it was Ramaswamy. I mean, I'm sorry. If you are going to run as Trump light, you are not going to win the presidency. It's just not going to happen. You can't rewrite you know, redo that script and think you're going to win over the voters that Republicans have lost in the last, you know, four, five, six years. Uh, and so, you know, maybe he likes it and likes the attention, but I just, I, I thought he was a loser. I thought his uh, approach, I thought the lies, the flip-flopping, biggest loser of the night by far for me. Scott? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge it by who helped themselves the most. And I think Haley was one, DeSantis was a close second, and Pence was a close third. Everybody else, you know, it, again, I think it depends on what they're trying to accomplish. I think Ramaswamy, you know, as I think more about his candidacy, is just trying to accomplish frontrunner status for 2028. Uh, maybe he's playing for vice president, although I have a hard time seeing it. But if you look at, at the, the post-debate polling, it obviously the act needs some refinement. So I'm going to stick with Haley DeSantis and Pence. And I, I'm going to 
throw a bone to Tim Scott. I think he missed his opportunity. I think he could have done more. I think this environment's not great for him, but he had a couple of riffs on conservative issues that we played one, you know, in a vacuum are going to play just fine with a conservative. I think he's got some more fight left in him. And so I don't think this debate uh, mortally wounded his candidacy, but uh, uh, it didn't help it either. So I'm going to, I'm going to be a little more positive to a friend of the pod, Tim Scott. And the LA times, Scott, in his instant column that was published within hours after the debate, again, brought up Donald Trump as being the ultimate victor because of the fact that uh, that the race didn't really change by that debate. But the meanwhile, Donald Trump was being interviewed by Tucker Carlson on Twitter X and uh, asked about how he is remaining so high in the polls despite the repeated indictments against him. DeSanctis is out. I think he's gone. So he was, he was at a level. He's, people have figured him out. He's gone. But if somebody else got in other than me, They'll go at him just as viciously as they did me. These people are sick. Uh, they will go after them. And a lot of people say they won't be able to hold up. I do get credit for holding up quite well, I must tell you. I think it's... Uh, How do you do that? How do you get indicted, you know, every week and stay I cheerful? It's, uh, I think it, it's a lot easier because I'm, I'm so high in the polls because it means the people get it. The people see it's a fraud. Scott? You know, a couple things about this Twitter uh, interaction with Tucker Carlson. Number one, I thought it was going to get a lot more play than it did. I know they're saying it got, what, 200 million views, but I then yeah. have since learned that if you just scroll past it for two seconds, that counts as a view, <laughs> which actually also had the impact of making me feel bad about my own clips where I'm like, oh, yeah, what do you mean? <laughs> so anyway, that, that that did make me make me feel poorly. Um, so I, I, I did not see clips of this permeating the coverage the way I thought it would. Now, fast forward to today, almost the, the entire day was dominated by waiting for his plane to land, looking at his motorcade, the mugshot. And so he did dominate the day after. But the night of, I'm not sure the counter-programming had the impact that they were hoping for. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's a little bit like DeSantis, right? He launched his campaign on Twitter. And uh, everybody's still kind of wondering whether that helped him or hurt him. I, I'm not. I'm not sure that had a, a huge impact last night. I'm gonna share one more bite, and then I'm gonna get to Kevin. And this is for some reason Tucker Carlson just could not help uh, asking Donald Trump if he thinks he's going to be assassinated. He asked him w once. Trump pretty much just avoided it, moved on to four other things, stream of consciousness. Twenty minutes later, Tucker Carlson comes back again. So what's next after, you know, try to put you in prison for the rest of your life? That's not working. So, like, don't they have to kill you now? I, th I think the people of our country uh, don't get enough credit for how smart they are. And I, I'm not sure I would have said this 10 years ago, but they get it. You know, they yeah. really get it. When somebody gets indicted, your poll numbers go down. When somebody gets indicted, you announce, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'll be leaving to spend time with my family and to fight for the rest of my life on this stuff. But you're out of politics. I got indicted four times. All trivia, nonsense, bullshit. It's all bullshit. So Trump, Scott, as you pointed out years ago when he was first running against Hillary Clinton, he finds a way to cut through the bullshit. He finds a way to pretty much just, 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 just go, go right to it. And I think despite the fact of him being so unpresidential, undeserving of reelection, he still has that talent. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, this is this is what makes him... 
as viable and as and as strong as he is. You know, he he more than a lot of other people can find a way to channel a language that is heard by you know tens of millions of Americans. And and to this day, the political elites in this country don't understand the language. They can't translate it. They don't get it. They misunderstand it. Uh, and he and he and he still he still is the master of that in the Republican Party. Uh, and you and you heard some of that right there. I have to say that that is a weird question. Do you think you're going to be assassinated? There were there were a lot of weird questions. I mean, Tucker was hung up on Epstein. He asked him like two or three times if he thought Epstein killed himself. And Trump was like, I don't think so. And then kind of said, well, maybe he did. It was a, it was a very strange interview. I was like, honestly, because he asked it, that question about the assassination twice, kind of surprised that Trump didn't give him more of it, just knowing like what what Tucker wanted to hear. Um, I, it was a very strange interview, but because uh, Scott mentioned the 240 million views of this one, I, I just saw tonight they they released how many people watched the Fox News debate. And that was my biggest question. Is anybody going to watch this if Trump isn't there? They said 12.8 million viewers tuned in to watch on cable and on live stream last night, which is bigger than 70% of all the debates in the last two presidential cycles. So it seems like some act- some people actually tuned in to watch it, which you know, was my biggest question going in. I find it hilarious that Donald Trump can't help but be a marketing expert. Here he is critiquing the White House on the photo ops of Joe Biden. And I, I don't know what they're doing with the beach. You know, this beach is seeming to play a big role, but they love pictures of him on the beach. I think he looks terrible on the beach. He looks terrible on the Skinny beach. Skinny legs. Well, he can't walk through the sand. You know, sand yeah. is not that easy to walk through. But when he walks through it, he can't walk through the sand. And there's somebody in there that thinks he looks fabulous at the beach. I think he looks horrible at the beach. Plus, the beach doesn't represent what a president's supposed to be doing. He's supposed to be working. <laughs> I, well, first of all, I totally agree with Donald Trump. It is difficult to walk <laughs> I hate walking through the sand. I don't want to run through the sand. I see video of people like jogging on the beach. And I'm like, this is misery, absolute misery. So I have to say, totally with Trump on this. One last bite from me on on the... I want to ban long walks on the beach. Ban it. (laughs) One last bite I want to share just because Donald Donald Trump, he obviously has this this vendetta now against leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky. And yep, he, he goes right at him during this interview as well, even bringing back the... Last re-election, the the resounding re-election here in Kentucky of Mitch McConnell. I had great support when they did impeachment hooks number one and impeachment hooks number two. Uh, Jim Jordan, the House was fantastic. And actually, the Senate was very good for me. Other than, you know, Mitch McConnell, I think if he had, it's too bad I endorsed him. He was begging. He was going to lose that race. And I endorsed him. And he ended up winning the race because of my endorsement. He was down. He was going to lose to... Amy McGrath, $90 million in cash, all set to go. She was leading by three. He was going down. I did him a favor. And then three, four months later, he really wanted to impeach me. Uh, He's a bad guy. Kevin? I don't think Mitch McConnell's losing any sleep tonight over what Donald Trump has to say about his 2020 reelection. I mean, that has been proven wrong so many times. The fact that it lives between, he occupies so much real estate and Donald Trump's head is hilarious. First of all, I think what what really agitates Donald Trump about Mitch McConnell is that while he has to get up every day and get on a conference call with a hundred million dollars worth of legal advisors, Mitch McConnell gets up every day and goes to the United States Senate because he won his election and Donald Trump lost his. I think it's also true that Donald Trump 
was envious that Mitch McConnell has never gotten fewer votes than a Democrat, and Donald Trump has never gotten more votes than a Democrat. The fact is, the legacies of these two men are incomparable, and I'll take Mitch McConnell 100 times out of 100. So, you know, I'm not surprised he attacked him, but also to set the record straight about 2020, McConnell romped because of McConnell. And and basically, Donald Trump was along for the ride. The other thing which is so strikingly different, as well as I think conspicuous about uh, those two men, is that Donald Trump is still just uh, preoccupied with thinking about Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell doesn't care about Donald Trump. He's he's moved on. I mean, (laughs) so the fact I think I think that that has to drive Donald Trump crazy. The rest of the world completely spins around him and Trump or, or McConnell pretty much ignores him. And I think that has to drive him crazy. I'm pretty, uh, just real quick, I'm surprised he remembers Amy McGrath's name. I bet most Kentuckians don't remember her name after $90 million of ads. I'm surprised he does. Sorry, Jerry. (laughs) No, yeah, it is. It is a bizarre vendetta that he has. And it's just like, I mean, talk about like revisionist history. I mean, it's just, I mean, McConnell molly whopped her and was going to regardless, right? I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's a silly vendetta when like, it's like preschool. It's like play school stuff when you're like, oh, I almost, you know, had you on the ball field. It's like, no, you didn't. You know, like um, I, it, it's just a silly, weird, childish vendetta he has. It, it so is a window into his. It is a window into his mindset, though. He does not want any other Republican to have electoral success except for himself. Right. And for everybody out there wondering that if he somehow lost the nomination, would he be a team player and hop on board with that person? Hell. No, he does not want a Republican success story to exist other than for himself. I think he's jealous of people who win their races, especially now and especially in the state of Georgia. I think he was all too happy to see Republicans in Georgia you know, not win the Senate race. He was all too happy about that last time around because he doesn't want. That's why he was so mad about Brian Kemp. You know, he wanted to get rid of Brian Kemp, the governor down there. I, I think he can't bear the idea that somehow some Republican can win a race and he can't win it. So full circle here, Scott, before we wrap up this week's flyover country with Scott Jennings, we have the debate over. We have this Tucker Carlson, Donald Trump uh, interview over the, 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 the images and the story going forward now has to be the, the, the criminal uh, charges and the indictments against Donald Trump. How's this all play out? Well, I guess, you know, uh, instant polling and instant reaction to major events is often unreliable. So I think we need to give it a couple of weeks and see how the the data shakes out on the Republican primary polling, you know, 10 to 14 days from now and see if anybody really did help themselves more than just for one night. Certainly the fundraising aftermath of this can often be telling about where Republicans are are, are leaning. So, I'm, you know, but it's going to take a couple of weeks. So I guess I would just caution everybody to, you know, be patient and give it a couple of weeks to see how how it plays out from here. And regarding his legal travails, um, you know, there was a YouGov uh, Yahoo News poll that came out tonight. And, you know, the question was, if he's convicted of a felony, you know, head to head against Joe Biden, he was down like 48 to 37. Once again, another data point that if this all winds up with him being convicted of a felony somewhere, that it's going to make it really, really difficult for him to have any prayer uh, of approaching winning the next presidential election. As you wrap up this week, little scene red herd. I'm going to start because I shared with you guys a, a a screenshot I took 
of our friends at the Public Service Commission of Kentucky. So I'm watching this for just my personal interest in <laughs> certain <laughs> hearings going on there on the YouTube. Anyway, I did not realize they have, if, if anyone has ever watched, like, I don't know, the, the, the Nuremberg trials or <laughs> any Russian courtroom, they, they, they put these people like in this, it almost looks like a phone booth. You know, they're, they're, you're in this cube, you're in this this uh, this this zone of of uh, this witness stand or this this defendant area. Anyway, they have the all the people who are testifying just on a for a utility company behind this plexiglass cube where you have to testify. I'm I'm guessing it's a holdover from the pandemic. None of the people out in the rest of the hearing room are behind anything. It's just bizarre. But I bring this up perhaps as well because I I think that. Uh, I, 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 there are some rumblings, Scott, and you are, I guess, right now in in New York, and I don't, I'm, I'm curious what their people are saying about whether some of these pandemic uh, controls are going to come back, masks or otherwise, as there are, there's apparently another strain of the virus going around. Oh, uh, believe me, I mean, there's, you've seen some clips starting to filter into the mainstream media outlets. Let's bring back the mask mandates. Let's start you know, going back towards the emergency measures. There, there is a group of people in this country who are desperate to get back to lockdown, the emergency governance. They love being in charge of you and telling you what you can and can't do. And they would love to have that power back. So my advice, remain vigilant, America. <laughs> and and uh, do not do not obey again, because uh, what, what I find incredible is it's, it's the mask. They want you to in a mask. The one thing, the absolute one thing that we know had no impact whatsoever on right. stopping the spread of the virus. That is what they are desperate for the most. So it has nothing to do with the virus and everything to do with, can I make you do something? Oh, those it's they'll of- schools next. I mean, that, that also mm-hmm. worked out really well. Mm-hmm. Kevin, what you got, what you got for us tonight? Uh, yeah. So as you guys know, I was out uh, last week, uh, took the family to the beach uh, for a few days. And between uh, I had my first experience at a Bucky's, and I liked it so much, we did it again, and then we did it a third time. I have been to now every Bucky's between my house and Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and I gotta say, pretty great. It's pretty. Let me great. ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Did you get some of the beaver nuts or beaver? Yeah, nuts? yeah, we did. <laughs> pretty amazing um, stuff. Pretty, not pretty good for amazing. you. These are these are these are horrible for your insides, but man, are they good? I, I had beaver to... nuts. Yes. No, beaver nuggets. Beaver nuggets. Is it nuggets or nuts? I think it's nuggets. I what are they? What is the flavor of this? They're like nugget? honey syrup, um, made with real beaver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, beaver. It's like a sweet corn puff. It's like a yeah. corn puff covered in some kind of what is it? It's like cinnamon, or I'm not entirely sure. It's it, caramel, it, it, like it, a caramel, almost like a cracker. It's like a really, cream. really syrupy. Like it reminded me of like a that that waffle breakfast cereal uh, from when I was a kid. Um, but you have to yeah. go in there and exercise oh, a lot of self-restraint. Otherwise, you're going to eat a lot of calories and spend a lot of money. But uh, 200, I, I, 200 gas stations. We visited, I think, the biggest one in the country in uh, outside of Sevierville, Tennessee. Bucky's, really cool, worth the trip. All right, Jared. I seen, this was all over my timeline the last couple of weeks, the Johnny Football, Johnny Manziel documentary, the untold documentary on netflix this series untold does these sports documentaries i've done a couple of good ones i would recommend the manti teo one i would not recommend the johnny manzel one i didn't think it was you know particularly well done or brought anything really like new 
you know, to his story. And um, I was, you know, right in the middle of the Johnny football hysteria, right? Like that was kind of like my college years and he captivated the nation as a football fan was just amazing to watch. And then, you know, flew too close to the sun uh, and, you know, had this really meteoric rise. Um, but I, I, I didn't think it was that great. I don't know. I, I don't know if documentaries are just kind of falling off in general. It feels like a little bit lately or, what it is but um the untold series there are some good ones in there um but the johnny manzel one the johnny football i think is what they called it not not that great and i know a lot of people on my timeline were talking about it and um was was just not that impressed um for what i thought you know as a 18 19 year old watching him was he was a god in the college football world um you know i, I was i'm a little bit too young for Vince Young and some of the guys before him. So uh, that only okay documentary. Scott. Uh, I've got a couple things. One, I have started watching the new Disney plus star Wars series, Ahsoka. I'm, I'm halfway through the two part opener. Um, I will report on this next week, but <laughs> I am into it. And uh, we look forward to explaining this to Joe. The second thing <laughs> This past weekend, I took my kids to see the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, Mutant Mayhem movie. I was skeptical, but I have to say, I really liked it. I liked it way more than I liked the Spider-Verse movie, which the kids wanted to see. And my kids, I think, since it's their favorite movie since the Mario Brothers that we saw earlier this year. Now we can watch it on Peacock. We've watched it about 10,000 times. If my children (laughs) were Oscar voters, Mario would win all the Oscars. But they love Ninja Turtles. And uh, and I and I liked it too. So good job on Ninja Turtles. I did have a, a weird interaction with uh, one of the cinema employees. Uh, we saw it uh, early in the morning. Uh, we were we're not that many people in the theater, and I just said to the person, "Wow, not too many folks here." And the and the cinema employee said to me, "Yeah, I hope it stays that way." And I walked <laughs> off. And then I thought, "Why would you say that?" Like, <laughs> Do you want this to close? Do you want this to close? That little interaction has stuck with me all week that a uh, movie theater employee was desperate for people not to come to the movies. Anyway, there's mine. There you have it. My, my final one, I'll say thanks to uh, the Kentucky Farm Bureau here uh, this morning on Wednesday, the 59th uh, Country Ham Breakfast. Great time and a, a record combined bit of $10 million dollars for an, uh, nearly eight, or actually just over 18 pound country ham, which I worked out to $555,555 per pound. And mm. uh, all that money goes to charity. So thank you. That's, to the- that, that's Bidenomics for you. <laughs> <laughs> that is inflation. That's okay. Ham's going up. For Kevin, Jared, and Scott, I'm Joe. You're listening to Fly Over Country with Scott Jennings. Have a good week. Later. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.